Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey guys, and welcome to Paranormal Thoughts Podcast, and as always, thanks for joining me. In this episode, we're looking at the UFO abduction of Travis Walton. This is a segment I'm doing where I'm looking at some of the most well-known and documented UFO cases. Just before we get into that, though, I just wanted to say, if you enjoy this episode or any of our previous episodes, please feel free to subscribe to the podcast. We are on iTunes, Stitcher, CastBox, anywhere where you can find a podcast, we'll be there. We're also on Facebook and Instagram, so you can go like us and follow us there. Uh, You'll be kept in the loop of when we post new episodes or any other additional content. Also, we have a blog post, which is where any links or any other assets uh, from the episode will be. So in this this case, there'll be some videos you can go and check out at paranormalthoughtspodcast.wordpress.com. Also, if you're interested, we do have some shirts for sale at teespring.com. Just type in Paranormal Thoughts Podcast or follow one of the links in the description and you'll be able to find it there. So, I've been doing some reading back into the Travis Walton case. And once again, this is a case I've been pretty well aware of for a long time. I can't remember exactly the first time I came across it, but I think uh, any sort of UFO fanatic or anyone who does research into ufology, uh, this is probably one that you're going to come across pretty early on into your searches because it is so well documented. And I think from, you know, going through it, it's actually incredible how much Travis remembered without any need of hypnosis. He pretty much remembers his whole time from the abduction, during and even afterwards. There's no real, um, well, I suppose he remembers as much as he can as he was conscious because I think for a lot of the time that he was abducted, um, from my understanding is that he was unconscious or potentially there's a bit of a time difference. So we'll talk a little more about that though. But this case, I think, is really interesting. There's a lot of different aspects of it. There's, uh, I suppose, I wouldn't call it a mass sighting, but the event was uh, in front of six other people. And a lot of people were involved during his disappearance and afterwards as well. So it was kind of a, I suppose, in a real time kind of situation where I suppose, I don't know, a lot of cases you kind of come by, someone is taken, no one even knows that they're gone. They sort of returned in a I'm not sure if you could call it a short amount of time, but maybe within a night or something like that. Um, potentially the the amount of time that they're gone isn't enough to alarm people per se. Sometimes that, you know, isn't the case, but I think a lot of time um, that kind of does fall into that. I think it's interesting too, these 
big cases that I've sort of been looking at, they're not really people who seem to be regular occurring abductees. It's kind of like a one-off big kind of event. Uh, what they can remember anyway, who knows? Um, surely some of these people may have been taken more than more than that initial time, but or who knows, maybe this wasn't even the first time. It was just the time that they could remember for whatever reason. So I think that's also another interesting aspect um, of the case too because um, potentially if people are being taken for these shorter amount of times, maybe they're taken more frequently compared to people who might just be a one-off, maybe they're taken for an extended amount of time or kind of what have you. You know, It's all sort of theories, but um, we'll get into a little bit of Travis's story and what actually happened to him. And what's great too is Travis is still doing talks and you know you can really go, you can go hear this from him you know, online and everything like that. So there's a lot of podcasts out there who actually get Travis on. It's definitely crossed my mind, but I kind of just like the idea of me telling his story and sort of giving my thoughts on it. Um, this podcast isn't really for that per se. Um, definitely not opposed to it, but I think for this particular little series I'm doing, uh, it's more about me sort of telling the story to you, talking about it, and potentially, who knows, maybe some of these people we are sort of talking about, uh, we could eventually get on, but that's not really my goal for this anyway. And feel free, you know, if you guys actually want to hear some of these big time um, people out there in ufology or any sort of topic we touch on, you know, we have had some in the past and there are more coming in the near future, um, don't get me wrong, but I think there's that much out there of Travis doing the exact same interview on other podcasts, which is fine. Uh, I just don't think I want to make a carbon copy of what everyone else is doing because I think that's what you guys seem to enjoy as listeners. That's what the message has uh, been given back to me anyway, is that you guys like this podcast because it is kind of different from everything else. So I want to kind of keep it along those lines because that's what we set out to do. So Travis was born in February of 1953, and this event took place on the 5th of November, 1975. Travis was a young 22-year-old at the time. He was working a logging contract out in the Apache Sitgreaves National Forest in Arizona. The logging crew consisted of Travis and six other men. When Travis talks about this day, he says nothing leading up to the abduction was really out of the ordinary. It was a very ordinary day. The guys were working long shifts uh, as the weather, the bad winter weather was starting to roll through. So they were trying to get as much done as they could out, you know, logging the trees and everything along those sort of lines as loggers do. At the end of the day, the crew loaded into their truck. I think this is interesting as well that seven guys managed to get themselves into a crew cab pickup truck or in Australia would call it a ute. Travis reports the crew did have, you know, a busy day at work, but they weren't that they weren't overly tied to the point they were hallucinating, drifting asleep, or any other kind of. Um, they weren't in a state of mind that they what was about to happen could have been, you know, hallucination or just being from overtired. He said they were they were you know worked hard, but that almost gave them an extra boost of energy. Apparently, so he felt like they were quite hyped up on doing the hard work, and they were just getting ready to go back home. The crew started to spot a bright light peering through the trees in the sky. There was nothing alarming about this to the men at the time, although they weren't sure what the source of the light could have been, so they wanted to get a better look. It was really common for lightning to strike the trees in this forest. Apparently, it's the second most or first most uh, lightning struck location in the United States. So um, it could have been a potential lightning strike hitting a tree and the tree um, catching on fire. But as Travis um, states that it was, you know, early winter, uh, it wasn't the wet season. There was no lightning storms of that day, so it couldn't have possibly been from a storm. Anyone who knows um, about 
the Travis Walton case might know of the film that was made in the 90s called Fire in the Sky. It was a dramatic depiction of these events that kind of took place. There were some accurate points that they picked up in the film, but a lot of it was sort of dramatised, of course, you know, trying to tell a story, um, filling in time where they needed to add uh, visual aspects. But that film is called Fire in the Sky. So I think this next uh, point is where they actually got the idea, um, where they actually got the title of the film from. So Travis said that they've seen fires that high up in trees that, that the sky was actually on fire, hence the name Fire in the Sky. It didn't appear to be a fire from what they could see, so they decided to dr- keep driving and get into a clearing in the trees. At this point, they got a clear view of what the light was. One of the men in the crew, Alan Dallas, yelled out, It's a flying saucer. The light was a circular craft that was reflective and gave off a soft golden glow. Travis explains that the craft gave off a lot of light, but the craft was still quite reflective at the same time, so you could actually see the tops of the trees reflecting back off the craft. Mike and John, another two members of the crew, actually claimed that the craft was really impressive, that it was both beautiful and terrifying at the same time. So these seven guys are seeing this UFO, and what does Travis do? He decides to get out of the car and get a closer look. His thought process was he wasn't going to be able to get close enough to the craft before it would just take off. He almost assumed, I suppose, it could have been like a animal where you can see it, you try to get close enough, it spots you, it takes off. Uh, but as he was getting closer to the craft, it wasn't, it wasn't moving. So this is where his fear really started to intensify. So why did Travis get out of the car? He explains that it was just kind of out of curiosity that he wanted to see what this was. You know, I suppose you're never going to see one again, potentially, you know, especially up this close. So he literally just wanted to, he was just in the moment and just wanted to experience it. Some of the guys in the crew, though, reported that it seemed like he was almost in a trance, that he had no control over what he was doing. And Travis says that wasn't the case unless he was that much under control that he believed that it was what he was wanting to do. The craft gave off a sound that was overpowering. Travis described it as really high and low frequencies, almost on the point of actually not being able to hear those frequencies. The lowest frequency we can hear is 20 hertz, and the highest frequency we can hear is 20,000 hertz. As Travis got closer, the craft actually became louder and started to have a bit of a shaky movement to it. At this point, he started to think something bad is going to happen here, and even the guys in the truck also gave back that information that it seemed like something bad was going to happen. Travis later explains that the sound of the craft is giving off almost sounded like it was charging, that it was sort of ramping up to something. And I think this next part of the story could have been what it was actually ramping up to. So at this point, Travis thought he better actually get out of the way, so he decided to duck down for cover. At this point, he thought he had to get back to the truck. He's had enough of looking. It's time to get up and just bail. But when Travis did get back up to his feet, he was hit with what he describes as a blast of energy. Travis was thrown through the air. The crew said it was almost like Travis had stood on a landmine. He was that brutally thrown through the air. As soon as he hit the ground, the crew just all assumed that he was dead. They were all yelling out, They got him! They got him! We gotta, we gotta get out of here! They honestly thought that no one could survive what they just witnessed. The fact that he was hit so brutally hard, and there was just, there was just no way. They just thought he was just burnt to a crisp, you know? It's just kind of what it looked like. So the crew got out of there. Fair enough. And Travis does actually state later on um, that a lot of people said they were quite uh, cowardly, that they didn't, you know, stay and try to help him. But Travis said the same thing. Uh, If he had witnessed what had happened to him, to someone else, uh, he would have bailed as well because who knows what was going to happen next, you know. Was the same thing going to happen to one of the other guys or all of the guys? So uh, at this point, they just decided to bail. And they did drive for quite some time 
their plan wasn't to just leave Travis or the remains of Travis out there. They just needed to sort of get away, maybe try to find some help. Um, their idea was to try to find some deer hunters to get some guns, even though that probably wouldn't have really helped them in the situation, but that would make them feel more safe. After a little while, um, they returned back to the site to just suss out whether the craft was there. They actually saw it leaving, so they knew that they weren't really fussed of it coming back or not. They were just kind of more scared to actually find what what kind of condition Travis was going to be in. So they got out of the car, they searched the site, and they couldn't find any remains of Travis. He was just gone. Mike, who was the crew leader, felt an immense amount of guilt at this point. He knew he shouldn't. He he knew that he shouldn't have left Travis alone. But what else could he have done at this point? All the guys were in a pretty traumatized state that they literally just saw their co-worker. Well, they don't really know. I suppose you could say murdered, abducted. Um, they did, I guess they didn't really know at this point, and they must all be thinking at this time. They might not even. I couldn't even imagine even thinking this. But how the hell are they going to explain this? How is this going to look to? friends, family, police, the rest of the town, it just doesn't make sense, does it? That seven guys leave in the morning, six come back. What happened to Travis? He was abducted by aliens. But that is what happened. So when the crew went back to town, some of them didn't actually want to report it to the police, but the majority said, well, look, he is missing. Uh, If we don't report this in, they're going to think that we've done something. We have to just come clean and just tell them what happened. So obviously... They get on to the sheriff's deputy, who then calls up the sheriff, and they all went back out to the location that night to look for Travis. The sheriff was confused, obviously. He knew something terrible must have happened to Travis and to the crew because the crew were in that much of a state of just, they were just distraught. So obviously, they maybe the sheriff was assuming along the lines of an oh, accident happened and they were trying to cover it up. Um, he was sort of looking in their car, seeing if there was any booze or drugs, you know, in case these guys were all just off the head. Um, he didn't find any of that. And obviously that night they started to do a manhunt. And the next day is when uh, they actually rounded up about 60-odd people and just searched the woods. They brought in sniffer dogs. The dog could smell where Travis was in the car and up to the point where he actually was taken. But after that, there was no sign of him. It's also, it was also discovered there's some really unusual magnetic readings where, right where Travis was actually abducted as well. They're searching the woods and there's no sign of Travis. So at this point, they're going to start, they start thinking, all right, what did you guys do to Travis? Where's his body? Let's, you know, get on, get on with this. Obviously, you guys did it. Why are you telling the story of a UFO? It's later actually discovered that the sheriff, he has never actually come out and said that he believes this story, but turns out he's actually seen UFOs himself in his life. He's seen craft that he can't explain, even before this incident. Yet he was still along the lines of he wasn't sure what had happened. He was just trying to get to the bottom of it. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. 
With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. All six crew members said that they were telling the truth and they were happy to undergo a lie detector test. So the sheriff brought in the state police lie detector expert and all six men passed all the tests. And... This is what's interesting as well, that it's very unlikely that six guys could have gotten all of their stories perfect, where there was no inconsistent information that was being relayed in those tests, that everyone had the perfect story, everyone saw, experienced the exact same thing, which is just unheard of, you know? So where was Travis? Travis opened his eyes and he was lying on his back. He was in a massive amount of pain. The pain he was feeling, he was really not in a good state. Travis was struggling to breathe. As he was kind of starting to come to, he was assuming that he was taken to hospital. Whatever had happened to him, the guys picked him up and took him to the local hospital. He started to see figures around as, he, as his vision was starting to come back. And there was these beings around him that he thought at the time that they were doctors. But as his vision started to actually correct itself, he realised they were, as he explained, monsters. These beings had these large heads, large eyes, pretty much along your lines of your pretty typical grey alien and Travis just started to freak. 
he eventually managed to get himself up and he found some sort of surgical, as he explains, tool uh, next to where he was lying and started to try to defend himself. The three beings in the room with him didn't do anything. They just kind of stood and just stared at him. They didn't say anything. He wasn't getting any messages from them. They just kind of stared at him for an extended amount of time. After this, they all turned around and walked out of the room, leaving Travis by himself. They were humanoid, hairless, large eyes, grayish-white. They had some kind of loose-fitting coverall. But, you know, they had two arms and two legs. And uh, they were quite a bit smaller than I. But the, the fear that it caused wasn't just the strangeness of these creatures. It was also uh, the stare. The stare was, I'm thinking, after many years of trying to reason why, was, I think, an attempt to regain control of me. That somehow the, the, the stare was involved in some kind of mind control effort that uh, wasn't working for them. And, you know, here's somebody three times their size that could inflict a lot of damage. And if they can't control me, then they'd better clear out, which is what they did. They all turned simultaneously and went out the door. At this point, Travis thought, this is my time to escape. Obviously, he was very frantic. His idea was just to get to a door and get out. He was hoping that he would just you know, find a door and just fall straight back onto the floor of the woods. Uh, Even though now he knows that probably wasn't the case. He probably was no longer in that forest in Arizona. Travis then found his way out of that room and ended up in another room. He states this room had the effect of seeing the stars in a panoramic type style. He wasn't sure if it was actually a window type view, seeing outside um, into the stars, or if it was more like a star map that the room was actually used for navigation. There was a single chair in the room as well and Travis was trying to avoid it because he was worried that one of these beings was sitting in the chair. When he got close to it, he saw a bunch of buttons and controls and he literally just started pushing everything that was on there just to try to find a door. Nothing happened. At this point, he turned around and there was a human-looking figure in the room wearing a helmet. So he assumed it was someone there that has his best interest at heart and is trying to get him out of there. This being didn't talk to Travis at all and he was assuming that the being wasn't responsive because he had the helmet on his head. Maybe he couldn't hear, he couldn't speak with it on or what kind of have you. So Travis just started following this being, assuming that this is his saviour, they're going to get him out of there. He then reports walking through a airlock type facility because when he got to the other side, the air became so much easier to breathe. When Travis left the airlock and was in the next room, it was almost like an aeroplane hangar. He looked behind him and noticed that he'd left the craft that had originally had taken him. And he was looking around and saw smaller craft as well. So he he kind of relays information back that the craft he was in was maybe like more of a mothership kind of situation. And then there was smaller type drone crafts around as well. Travis continued to follow the being through this room. He went into another room where there was a few other of these human-looking beings. Yet these beings didn't have any helmets on, so Travis assumed they would start to speak with him, yet they didn't. Um, They forced him down onto a table. This is the moment that Travis realised these beings were not here to help him. An oxygen mask was placed over Travis's mouth and he was out. The next time he opened his eyes, he woke up on the side of the road. He saw a craft above him in the sky. 
Apparently it wasn't the ship that actually took him originally, that it was a different craft, a different UFO. And he said it just silently took off and there was a bit of tree movement from the wind of it. But as he said, you, you wouldn't... You wouldn't expect a craft of this size to take off in such at such a speed and yet make no sound. It didn't break the sound barrier. There was just nothing. It was just silent. Travis managed to find himself a payphone, and this payphone is actually still there. It's a bit of a historical site. And he managed to make a collect call to his brother, and he just kind of told him, look, it's, it's Travis, I'm back. you got to come get me. And after some convincing, because his brother it was assuming that it was a uh, prank call because they were getting a bunch of that. Um, he came and picked Travis up and at this point Travis was just beside himself. He was just so, he was trying to explain exactly what had happened but apparently it wasn't for quite a few days that he wasn't really able to get himself together and really explain what had happened. The biggest thing for Travis uh, was that he assumed that it was the same night. It was that it was still the 5th of November. Uh, then his brother told him to feel his face and he realised that he wasn't freshly shaven from the morning before. He had, you know, some stubble, a bit of a beard coming on and his brother told him, you've been gone for five days, Travis. We've all been out looking for you. We assumed you were dead, that you were murdered or something else had happened. But, you know, at this point, they potentially weren't even considering that obviously Travis again. And the fact now he's back and he's actually giving the same story um, before even seeing any of the other guys... Um, of what had happened is really bizarre. Travis also took some polygraph tests and once again, I think he took five or so and he passed all of them. So with his five tests and the six crew members' tests, they were all positive. They can safely say these men were not lying. And even though polygraph tests, lie detector tests don't actually hold up in court, um, it's still a really good way to get a baseline of someone telling the truth or not. Travis was tested for drugs. There was no drugs in his system, so he wasn't on you know a five-day trip um, somewhere. He also had some medical brain scans done, and this EEG brainwave scan that he had done uh, found that was a there was a bizarre pattern uh, in his brainwaves, which Travis has now said could have actually been blocking maybe a potential an alien maneuver, such as mind control, actually putting people in a trance or you know, getting them to do certain things without them lashing out. Uh, and also it could have been potentially stopping their telepathic communication, which, you know, we've heard again and again, people don't actually hear these beings speaking. It's more of a internal thought. Uh, potentially from Travis originally being struck before he was taken, that could have actually scattered um, something in his brain and caused these blockage, these like blockages. So when the beings were trying to communicate to him or trying to have put him in a sedate type state they weren't able to, hence why they were just staring at him and they, he couldn't hear anything. Travis has spoken to other UFO abductees um, and the fact that they uh, reported the same thing of these beings staring at them but they were able to hear what they were saying and thinking, um, Travis does actually think that that was the case, that he just wasn't able to hear what they were trying to tell him. Another interesting point here, I've got a bit of audio here of Travis actually explaining this um, because this was a pretty big, this is probably one of the biggest bits of evidence uh, from this case. This is a very strange thing to happen. Went back to the site to do some filming for a show uh, for the promotion of the movie when it was coming out. He never said a word to me, but he figured out why we had such trouble finding the spot. The trees were much bigger than he thought they would be. And, you know, 
the following spring, he went out there and did this core sample and discovered that this tree nearest where the craft had come down had suddenly started growing to where the tree was twice the diameter it would have been in that much time. You see, you can see that from the, uh, 1918, when the tree first started growing, up to the time of the incident, the tree was 85 years old. And in the next 15 years, it's, it's doubled in diameter. And since the outside of the tree contains much more volume than the inside, the calculation for the volume of a tall cone, it's not really a cylinder, it tapers to a point. So the, the formula is that approximately 36 times the amount of wood fiber was being produced by these trees. This core sample was just coincidentally was on the side of the tree towards where the craft had hovered. People haven't seen these types of trees grow that fast in that sort of short amount of time. It's just unheard of. So I think there's a lot of interesting aspects to this case. There's some evidence, you know, with the six guys witnessing this happening, uh, and it's been proven that they weren't lying about the events that happened that night. The magnetic type material that was found, the trees growing as well. The fact that Travis was gone just for five days and people were out looking for him and there was just no trace of the man. There's definitely a lot of evidence to this case. And I think it really is one of those big staples in ufology. And, you know, it's still being in 1975, it's still, you know, pretty into the early days, um, getting into the, I guess, almost like the glory days of your typical alien type abduction. And I think this case really fits right into that. You know, there's been books, that has been documentaries, the feature film made about this case. It's definitely a really interesting story of just, because, you know, everyone thought he was just dead. <laughs> People thought he was murdered, you know, and then could you imagine that? Everyone's like, oh, these guys killed Trav um, and then he comes back and he's literally saying the same thing. Um, there was government officials who were looking into the case. Uh, people definitely knew there was something more, what was going on and people are still looking into this, you know, it's still an ongoing thing. I think another big thing with this case is that Travis's story hasn't changed. It's the same that it has always been. He's, he's come to his own conclusions on a few things, obviously, um, you know, some of his thoughts, but he hasn't really tried to look outside of what had happened, you know, as um, a lot of people might say that they got a message back from beings. I've spoken to people who, in their abductions, have been able to speak to the being there and had gotten a message, you know, but uh, with Travis, he didn't get any of that. So he's really out of the loop to where they were from, what they kind of wanted, you know, what they even did to him. He was unconscious for however long, you know, I suppose here on earth, five days had passed. Depending on where he was taken to, um, potentially the days work differently, you know, or, or potentially he was the, he was gone for five total days and he was uh, unconscious for the majority of it. Or uh, they did somehow manage to just completely erase his memory from that point on. So I think for the amount of time he was actually awake, it would must have been a pretty small window compared to the time that he can't remember or that he was unconscious. So who really knows what happened at that time? And if you watch the, the film Fire in the Sky, you see a pretty full-on uh, abduction-type um, medical experiments being actually uh, done on the actor playing Travis. But Travis doesn't report any of that because if anything like that had have happened, uh, he doesn't remember it. So what do you guys think? You know, 
these are the cases that are always going to be referenced because there's so much there's so much evidence and you know it's great that a lot of the people are still living obviously you know because it wasn't really that long ago um so we actually have potentially even new evidence coming out over the next however long you never know what people might uncover but i think this case is uh, one of my favourites, actually. It's just so interesting. It's just, you know, seven guys out working, minding their own business, tr- just trying to get home, and they kind of got... Um, they kind of were in the wrong place at the wrong time or the right place at the right time, depending on, uh, I suppose, how Travis... Uh, it obviously changed his entire life, you know, now that he um, has worked on these documentaries and does these presentations. He's kind of... It's become his life now. Um, so there's obviously that aspect of it as well. It was life-changing, I suppose, for all of them. Uh, I know if I had witnessed it, I probably wouldn't really want to go in the woods anymore potentially, um, you know, so who even knows um, the effect that it had really on everyone. I think it's interesting that we have these two descriptions of two different beings, the first one being more of the grey-type alien that we all know, the second one almost from images I've seen um, – sort of sketch. They almost remind me of like uh, the tall whites or something like that where they're very um, human looking, but just a little a little off, I suppose. They look a little, they almost look angelic, I think. And that's an always an interesting word to describe these uh, high beings or aliens, you know, because they are uh, types of gods, I think. So seeing them kind of like this angelic type um, being, I'm not sure the crossover there, you know, why... Why was he seeing these two different beings and not just, you know, one or the other? Um, And that sort of opens up, you know, another question because are these two different species kind of over-crossing? Or, you know, is it kind of like, is it something more? Because I suppose he left the craft where he saw the greys and then walked into the hangar or the maybe something, just a bigger craft, who really knows where he then went into? And then saw these other um, figures, who knows um, if, I don't know, who knows exactly why there's this crossover with these beings, you know, because I don't, I don't know, I'm trying to think of other times I've really heard about that. I've heard about people reporting seeing greys and then seeing maybe a different version of the grey where they look slightly more human uh, and taller or whatever, but this was like, he he thought these were genuinely people uh, and they probably are some sort of... um, version of ourselves, uh, maybe from the future or um, they created us something along those kind of lines, you know. But either way, I think that's a very interesting point that I don't feel like people touch on much. Why was he seeing these two different beings? And I guess we'll probably never know the answer because Travis doesn't know the answer to that. Um, but shit, I don't know. If you know other cases or you've heard of people telling their stories where they've seen more than one being in these types of experiences, I'd love to uh, get in touch because I want to know more about this strange crossover. Well, thank you so much, guys. I hope you're enjoying this uh, sort of new series of doing the UFO abduction cases. I'm really enjoying just getting back into these classic cases. It's, it kind of reminds me of um, being a little younger, just you know, being so hungry for this uh, type of material. So I hope it is translating to you guys and that you're enjoying it. As I said, if you enjoyed this episode, please go back and listen to any of our other previous episodes. If you have any suggestions for an episode, feel free to email me at paranormalthoughtspodcast at gmail.com. Or if you just want to let me know what you think of the show, I'm more than happy to hear what you guys think and hear your feedback. I'll reply to you and uh, we can start a conversation. So thank you so much, guys. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I'll catch you in another podcast episode real soon. Thanks. Bye.
Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.